Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in again, and thank you. When I was away, you still were downloading. I can't believe it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, lots of great pictures. Uh, you can check me out there at Saturdays with Joy Keys. I do a lot of giveaways, books, music, all types of things, so I encourage you to follow one of the uh, social media so that you can have a chance to win. If you have any comments, suggestions, you can email me at SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. I would love to hear from you there. Well, today I have a wonderful, wonderful author from across the seas, Suleiman Adonia. She, this is the second novel, uh, Silence is My Mother Tongue, that we're going to be discussing today. This novel was The Consequences of Love, and it was shortlisted for the Commonwealth Writers' Prize. It has been, his first novel was translated into more than 20 languages. Um, currently, he's in Brussels, but he has lived in Saudi Arabia. Um, in Eritrea, he fled because of the massacre in 1976, uh, and his family uh, fled away from there. But um, he has ended up in Brussels. Good evening to you in Brussels. <laughs> Hello. Good morning, Joy. It's lovely to join you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for writing this novel. Um, I, I can I can understand why it took almost 10 years, I think it was, for you to write it. Um, why, in your words, did it take so long for you to write this? Um, actually, yes, it, it took about 10 years. And, uh, well, so many reasons. First of all, I moved from London to Brussels. Uh, then I had a kid. But most of all, I think, is to do with the writing itself and the book itself, the nature of the book. Uh, that was quite difficult for me to write because, you know, it's quite a difficult subject to deal with and you know um and so for me it took me quite sometimes actually to accept uh you know uh that you know i needed to write that book in the way it should be written and for that what i mean is like for example this two years before even starting to write i realized that actually i have to do what i call to kind of train myself to write that book because it's quite disturbing at times Mm-hmm. And, and so what I did was I kind of disappeared and just started to read and read and watch documentaries, erotica films, 
and things like that quite because I wanted to be less judgmental of you know uh, of my characters and I needed to get to that point where I actually uh, you know could follow the story and submit to the story I think for me it's all about actually submitting to the story and there is a process you grow before you actually reach to that point where you say to yourself right you know I'm gonna just follow the story wherever it takes me without me being judgmental of the characters and it really for me anyway it, it took a long time for me to be able to do that and once I did that then the story started to uh, to happen and and the writing became a lot easier but nevertheless it's very, it was very, very intense process to write. And I, because also it's a very internal book and I had to deal with each and every character in a way, almost like inhabiting each and every character. And that in itself, it took a long time for me to get under the skin of each character. So it's, oh, it's multiple characters, multiple ways of telling the story and also you know, ridding myself of the judgmental nature I had before writing this book. And and I think but, but, you know, all the interesting thing is the main character is a young woman, and you are a man writing um, from her perspective. So, mm-hmm. um, did you speak with other female writers? How did you you know this this going away and reading? Um, did you what books did you read that think that you think helped you write for Saba, the main character? Well. Um, First of all, I think it's a very interesting question because um, I did initially, I, I was struggling actually to to um, to get Saba in, you know, or write her in the way I think it, she deserves. And immediately I noticed, wow, it could be the gender thing, you know. Uh, and I was writing her from outside and immediately I decided actually I would only be able to write her if I'm able to transcend my gender. I know this sounds, I don't know, cliche or uh, sounds uh, almost supernatural thing to do, but we writers have to do those things because we don't write just ourselves, you know? We write mm-hmm. the world. And, right. and I think to get, you know, yeah, I mean, I think honestly, I, when I saw at my desk, like I was saying to you before, it's, it's, you know, getting under her skin and being able to transcend myself as a man, as a whatever background I come from, just being able to follow this character, to submit to Saba, to her ideals, to her, uh, you know, to to the way she she saw the world, to her vision, philosophy, and I think then it becomes it becomes easier. Then it became like, wow, you know, I'm with her, you know, I'm flowing. And in terms of books, I've read so many different books, you know, uh, Beloved or uh, poetry. I'm, I'm Rambo and all kind of different poets from all over the world. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope we can get to talk about literature, uh, especially reading in Saudi Arabia. But I think for me, reading, I love reading the world. And I think part of the challenging aspect for me was actually, uh, like I said, when I was able to get under her skin, that was only because I was reading those difficult characters like uh, uh, in you know, a book like uh, George Bataille, for example, a French, a French, yeah, French writer uh, who wrote now, a story called with... The Story of the Eye. Okay, you deal with trauma, and I can see why it was difficult and you had to take time to write it. Um, your first book, many people that knew you did not like that you wrote that first book, from what I read. 
why did you have the courage to write now? You're talking about sexism. You're talking about trauma. You're talking about the the burden of women. What gave you the strength to say, I'm going to do this other book. I need to write this other book. Um, because I'm a writer. That's what I do, you know. And I think I've, anyway, I think I've got to a point where I just write the story. I don't really care about the market. I really, it's only afterwards, after you write it, you start to think about those things. But once you are in the story, you just want to tell the story truthfully and as best as you can. Uh, there's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I'm passionate about. There's nothing mm-hmm. else that keeps me awake at night, you know, that makes me walk for endless hours in the middle of the night. It's writing. It's thinking about literature. It's art. And that's why I'll continue writing. Of course, there are people who won't like my... I know that, especially in my community, because, you know, when you deal with um, subjects they are, they consider as taboos, then it becomes problematic to deal with the situation. But as a writer, I just write... And like I said, you know, I'm really driven by a story and nobody or nothing else. Well, I really like Sala's character because I'm I'm older, probably, I don't know if I'm older than you, I'm 50, but I remember growing up, and I also loved literature. My parents read to me. I have tons and tons of books. I think I have probably like six or seven bookshelves of books. And people come to my house and they're like, are you a librarian or wow. something? You know, but it's <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's how I was raised to read. So I, I've read so many books. And I will tell you, as growing up, I always had to identify with the male character. The male character was the one that was adventurous. The male character was the one that spoke out. The male, the male character was the one that was able to leave the house, um, got the girl, um, had the cool armor. Um, he was able mm-hmm. to lead the troops, you know. And mm-hmm. the female character, she could be beautiful. Mm-hmm. She could mm-hmm. clean the house. You know, she mm-hmm. could do this. So your your character, Salva, even though it does have a lot of rough materials, I mean, I almost wish that teens, she has a lot of strength in her, and um, she doesn't fear because she has her goal. And um, mm-hmm. education is important to her. Now, it seems that you really um, had many trips and travails to get to your education. It, was that similar feeling Um for you, like, that is one of your main goals was to try to complete your education um, once you got out of the refugee camps and things like that um, and out of uh, Saudi Arabia? I mean, um, you know, it's very interesting because there is a situation, there's a reality, and then there's fantasy. I think, for example, when I, go, when I arrived in Saudi Arabia, I thought oh, everything they taught you about women was just, you know, from their imagination because they would say things like, a woman can't fight a war because she's weak, she is this, this. But I come, you know, when we were in Russia, for example, we used to see women fighters coming into the camp uh, with Kalashnikov, muscular and arms. So they have had a kind of a different education to a lot of young boys and girls growing up in Saudi Arabia. You see what I mean? So there is a, a kind of, um, or I've, when I was in a camp, for example, I was surrounded by women. I was brought up by women. So they, they were all like, you know, active, uh, working, uh, bringing up kids, fighting patriarchy on a day-to-day basis. So I come from that environment where a woman is a woman of action. And, uh, for example, like I said, 28% of the fighters who liberated Eritrea from Ethiopia were women. So 
I knew all that, you know, I knew all those facts. So moving to Saudi Arabia, of course, I was being taught in books what women can or can't do. But then there is the kind of real life experience that I had. So the balance was obviously there. And uh, obviously, you know, that literature, uh, you know, is not being faithful to to the truth, to the fact. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. Yeah. I mean, Saba is not a fragment of my imagination. I think, you know, from my experience, I think there are many millions like Saba. I, I definitely, there are many women like Saba. Um, one of the things you were talking just now about reality and, and um, fiction, in the book you have one of the characters, uh, the mother is a fighter and sends tapes to her. I, I also read that your mother sent you tapes um, when she was away in Saudi Arabia. What is one of the tapes that you remember the most that your mother might have sent you? Is there one that really just stood out the most? Um, I think she sent many tapes, but I think, uh, and one of the tapes, almost in all the tapes, um, she, she sang. And I think for me, her voice was the kind of, you know, the singing voice was really extremely memorable. So just to, to tell you briefly what she used to do, because she was, you know, she couldn't read or write. And I suppose she could have asked somebody else to, you know, to write a letter for her to send over to us when we were living in a camp. But I, what I love about it is her owning the story. So in a way, she just put a tape, she recorded herself, and she she was very, very descriptive in her storytelling, you know, mm. to the mm-hmm. point that when I when I got to Saudi Arabia, in the way she described, for example, the palace, because she used to be a domestic servant for a Saudi princess, you know, I, I could see how accurate she was about the way she described, and that's why my writing is descriptive. And when I tell people, actually, one of my first literary influences is my mom, you know, a literate woman, you know, people get surprised, but this is the reality, you know. Uh, there's many ways we can learn stories from. Uh, books is one of them. Cinema is another. But also people like my mom, who are really capable of telling stories in their own ways, I think that's another. So there's the, the singing voice, the power of her storytelling, the descriptive nature of how she described where she was and how she was, all were kind of added to this intensity or longing that I felt for her. But at the same time, it made me part of the whole, you know, that I did, you know, I missed her so much, but she made me part of her world. And that was through her ways of telling the story. And for me, that is still very, very powerful. You know, you just said cinema. One of your characters in your book is cinematographer, and he tries to set up this um, cinema Silencioso, is that how you say it? Um, uh, inside yeah. the refugee camp. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, I'm thinking, what? He had, how, what is he talking about? And then I realized that these people go up and perform and they share their stories and things like that. But the, one of the real purposes was for him to be able to gaze at the woman he was in love with. Um, uh-huh. And um, and this is where your beautiful fluid language comes in, one of the sections it says, but her purple thighs and the chair under her dark body shimmered in the moonlight, half of her turned into a sitting silhouette as if she was the negative of a picture, the real person behind the image, behind somewhere else. Like, wow. You know, do you, you like poetry? Do you read poetry a lot? Uh, you know, I read poetry a lot. It's my passion. I always say to myself, like, I'm a frustrated poet. 
but folks <laughs> don't tell me that. Actually, I am up for it. So, you know, yeah. I mean, for me, it's like I can't, I've been trying to write poems forever. I just, you know, I just can't. I can't do it. So I end up being like, I don't know, showing my frustration in my prose, I suppose, you know. Um, I think you should write haikus. Haikus are short. You don't have to do a lot, you know what I'm saying? Because you have these yeah. lines in your books already that kind of, I feel like that could start something. You, you should try haikus. <laughs> I think, <laughs> See what happens. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, Joey, I think you just gave me an idea. I never thought about that, actually. This is a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> so, I, um, I really should. I should. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Okay. And remember, I gave you the idea. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'll acknowledge um, that. <laughs> so what is your favorite character? We talked about Saba now, but there's so many other ones. There's Hagos, which is her brother. Um, there's the midwife. Oh, my God. The midwife? Okay. I hated the midwife. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. the first midwife and the second midwife. It was just like the midwife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah. Tell me, why did you hate her? I hated her because she was holding up the crown of patriarchy. She was like uh, yeah. the biggest supporter. She was out there with the signs. She, she, she was the people that, like, if they go to football games and they paint their bodies, I could see her painting the word patriarchy on her entire body, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And yeah. where I come from, you know, here in America, midwives, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. women, they become what they call uh, doulas, and um, they help the women in a more comfortable kind of nurturing environment to have their mm-hmm. babies. This midwife, she just was um, – well, let's go straight to one of the things. First of all, the first midwife, she wanted to cut Saba. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who don't know, why don't you explain to the audience what that means, that she wanted to cut Saba? Well, um, you see, it's an it's FGM. It's, uh, and I think the... the you don't want to the, tell them the about it yet? That's okay. The, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. We won't tell I, anything. I think they should, they should read it because it's one of the mo- most complex and most traumatic, actually, pieces of writing in the book for me, that section, you know. Yeah. Um, also, like, um, because it's, it, it, it's, you know, it's just extremely um, 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 difficult also to write about, especially as mm-hmm. a man, you know. Yes. And, yes. and I, I think I have, you know, and I really thought like, okay, uh, it's one of the most difficult things that I've had to face to put this in, on the page. And um, and also the midwife, in the way, for example, she operates, I try to give her her humanity. So in a way, thinking why she is doing what she is doing. And like you said, you know, it's um, the, for me, it was like, okay, when once all those characters have moved or have fled from Ereshera to the refugee camp, I thought, okay, they, there would be a new beginning a new opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of build or design a new system that is more equitable, that is more, you know. And for me, it was, um, I was living with the characters and I could see the disappointment when patriarchy, you know, kind of became again, once again, the functioning power. And then mm-hmm. you have all these people like Saba and Hagos and Jamal who want to experience their freedom, to love they want to love, to make sex the way they want to make sex and to be the way they want to be, you know? And for yes. me, that was quite challenging. At the same time, I felt like really empowered by their, 
their power to exist in such an environment and the way they had to. And I think that for me was one of the most beautiful things about writing the book. You know? Yeah, you have a lot of love in the book. There are a lot of love stories and interesting love stories that you didn't even think about when they came about. You know, the people that connected, you were like, oh, okay, he's going to do that. I, I, I didn't see that coming, you know. So I think that's good. I think one of the key things is hope, having hope yeah. in the book. Um, like, for example, we go back to Saba, she was always looking to have a school built, you know, and then the um, the people uh, that ran the camp kept telling her, it's going to come, it's going to come, you know. And, I mean, she grew up to be a, a young lady and in the, in the, in the school still wasn't there, you know. And so mm-hmm. um, they really tested her hope, you know. Um, and then the, the, there was the businessman who, who wanted to build a store. And that was a struggle, mm-hmm. too. It's like um, he couldn't build his store, but there was really no reason he couldn't build his store, except that just people mm-hmm. wanted to keep this invisible totalitarianism alive. Have you, mm-hmm. um, now that you are away from refugee camps, you're in Brussels, you have a family, um, mm-hmm. Where is your struggle now? What is what is something that you hope for for maybe your children, for your family? Wow. Um, um, I think for me, the the past is still part of my present. Um, I think I can't. You know, it's really impossible to leave a past like that in all its dimension, whether it be the trauma part. The, also the hopeful part, like you said, like you just mentioned, uh, people, you know, rising up on a day-to-day basis to reclaim their humanity. That's what refugee camp taught me. That's what have been my lessons when I came to London uh, without speaking a word of English and then learning it to become a writer. Um, I think on every, all like in, in Brussels, for example, setting up a, a, a literary festival or an academy, for me it's just been a case of failing but, you know, I have learned also, like, what comes from these people, from refugees that I observed as a child, that after a failure, there is a, you know, you can rise from a failure. The most important thing is to try. I think for me, that's the biggest hope I can, I, you know, I can, I have, and, I, and it's with me. And also, there's also the trauma that, you know, I have experienced in a refugee camp of seeing my, my childhood friends dying or things like that, things that happened to me, to my family. And so it's part of my being, and I'm, I guess one of the things coming to Brussels that I have done is give me the time to actually think about this, you know, about my past. Uh, and also the book, I think, in a way, writing this novel was a passport, a ticket back to my life in a refugee camp, and also having had the chance to deal, like I said, with the trauma, but also the happy, the happy part um, of my life in a refugee camp. Um, so everything is still happening. I can't disown the past or the past can't disown me. So we kind mm-hmm. of, pull, both of us, we're moving in tandem. Now, uh, just recently I, I saw somewhere, you're learning how to do ballet through YouTube? What is this? This has nothing to do with the uh, well, so I the thing is, like, I, <laughs> Well, I, you know, the thing is, uh, no, I mean, the thing is, I, you know, I suffered, I mean, I have a long life in somnia, but it's been getting better. Uh, anyway, but when I was writing Silence, I, at times I would sleep two hours a night. And so I would be awake in my living room, I read poetry, and sometimes I decide, okay, why don't I teach myself something else? So I would mm. dance ballet or tap dancing or, you know, 
So yeah. like it's just like yeah, I just love doing a learning thing. It's just for me it's just education and learning. It's the most beautiful thing you can do, especially when you are in those situation where you feel, Oh, everybody around me is sleeping but I can't those are the mm-hmm. best time where you actually have to teach yourself. And I think uh, for me teaching myself how to do ballet, I'm not a ballet dancer at all, but I was just learning. I just, uh, you know, clicked on YouTube and I start, all right, watching uh, or modern <laughs> dance and so on. It's, it's like, it's yeah. really empowering. It's just like, it is. you, you, you know, a lot of artists do that. A lot of artists do yeah. that. They, you know, they uh, go yeah. across mediums, you know, like a singer, may become dancer, dancer can be a singer, an actor, you know, starts painting, yeah. um, all types yeah. of things, because the expression of art um, is is like connected to your spirit, you know, and so it, it, yeah. it can help. Like your writing could be yeah. aided by the dancing. You're dancing, if you're a dancer, and then you start learning how to write, it might help your, you know, your dance. You don't know, but it's all interconnected. Now, I also read, we only have a couple minutes left, are you doing a um, – a competition, a writing competition, the hybrid and collective writing competition? Is that still happening? We are. We are yes, it's still happening. The deadline is Wednesday. So if any of you listeners want to enter, please have a look. And it's really, I think, for me, it's one of the most beautiful things that I could have done, you know, given the fact that I speak so many languages. But also, like you've described it just briefly, previously, it's about, you know, it's about poets doing something else, about dancers doing writing, you know. So this this kind of the spirit that you mentioned, that's what we're trying to do with this competition, to say that it don't have to be one thing. It can be many things, and this is a way for you to celebrate it, to write in it. So please enter. Now, where can they find out? Should they go to your Twitter? Is it on Instagram, your website? Yes, it, if go? you go to my, there's a, a specimen.com website, or come to my Twitter. Uh, I'll make sure it's, uh, it's pinned so you can see it. But the deadline is Wednesday. Well, Suleiman, thank you so much for writing this book. It was beautiful. Silence is my mother's tongue. I'm going to be giving away some copies of the book. So, again, I oh, want to encourage so people. Too. Yes. Yes. Well, it's, you know, like I said, it's like poetry. I mean, again, you got to start writing the haikus, okay? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, this is I'm, what I'm I need. The next, next nice, thing. <laughs> well, I want you to have a beautiful evening. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Julia. It okay, was a you pleasure. have a great Thank evening. So have a lovely evening. Yes, okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, this is a beautiful story. Um, it's going to be coming out. The books won't come out until about July. So if you do win, just give yourself a little patience there, but you will get a copy of the book, Silence is My Mother's Tongue. And also, um, check out his other book. Uh, that was his first book, The, the Consequences um, of Love. Um, I may give away a copy of that. You never know. Anyway, follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, uh, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, so email me, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. Stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with... Uh, African black feminist, Mina Salami, so you don't want to miss this. This is going to be a hot topic conversation. Stay tuned. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. 
Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.